Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Now, we don't have any shout outs uh, this week. I think everyone's kind of starting to save their pennies for uh, the holidays, and that's totally fine and understandable. Uh, We're doing okay now, but we can always do better. So if you do have a little extra change in your pocket, uh, we could use it. So head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers and find out how you can help out. We thank you in advance. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, you can join the Major Spoilers team for our holiday tradition, traveling to the land of Gaul with another adventure of Astalix Plus. We travel to the pits of hell, the depths of space, and New York City. Get a rope. Plus, pop culture news, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a legend that will live on like the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's too rough to feed you, and the main hatchway's caving in, but the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Do-do-do-do-do. Welcome to issue 953 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out. This is the only show that the Major Spoilers Podcast Network is releasing this week from Sunday of this week until the end of the day, Saturday of this week, because it is the holidays here in the United States. And even though uh, we know that many of you enjoy listening to podcasts uh, during this holiday time, sometimes it's the only thing that you have uh, over the holidays, we also need to have a little time off time to recharge, time to spend time with our friends and family as well. So we are thankful that you are very understanding of that. And we'll be back next week. Uh, Next week, we will start off the week with Wayne's Comics Podcast, Major Spoilers Podcast. We will have a Munchkin Land. We have uh, Top 5 Legion Clubhouse coming out next week. Uh, Let's see. We have a new Critical Hit coming out next week. So all sorts of shows that you can be uh, listening to next week. But for right now, we have this one. And we also have the news. And in the news, Interplay Entertainment has announced that it has required the rights to Earthworm Jim, uh, which I remember as both a cartoon and a video game, to develop it as a new animated TV series. Like the video games, which were also developed by Interplay, the series is going to follow Jim, who's a worm, in a robot suit, Punch and Evil. Um, It is expected that new characters will also be introduced in the series, which is good because I don't remember any of the other characters. Earthworm Jim, of course, was created uh, by Doug, excuse me, Doug to Naple. Who is, Uh, it's that last, it's that last sentence that just kind of frustrates me, Rodrigo. Uh, I I don't know what your, your thoughts are on this. Yeah. I mean, Earthworm Jim was a big deal, right? I was, I'm, I'm a nineties kid. I grew up. Um, with like with a Super Nintendo, and it has uh, taken me a long time to like parse out how I feel about it because I love Earthworm Jim. Yeah, um, I played and, it a lot really, on my Sega. You know what it comes down to is, uh, to Naple is a very difficult personage. You know, so I'm not I'm not expecting to really patronize this series unless it happens to be in a streaming service. Um, that I'm into or that I'm already, uh, buying, uh, and even then, uh, it might just be kind of morbid curiosity, but I, you know, uh, I, you know, I like creature tech. I like earthworm gym. I liked, uh, 
I, I have friends who really like the Neverhood. I like, you know, like Sock Baby was formative for me, but mm. Tenable is not a good, not a good person. Yeah, so it's so, it's hard I, I, to uh, it's it's hard to keep up with that stuff. Yeah, it's it's hard to separate the the uh, artist from their work. Uh, something that mm-hmm. we've talked about before, especially when it comes to uh, Lovecraftian horror, cosmic horror. Uh, my thing is, is I, I like the character of Earthworm Jim. As I said, I played this on my Sega Genesis as well. Uh, mm-hmm. used to play it a lot when it came out. I remember watching the TV show a couple of times when it first came out, but at but that time I was kind of busy and not watching much TV anyway. I, I don't have a problem that Interplay Entertainment is doing this. My problem is, and I know Matthew, uh, there was something last week that says he's not involved in this series whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, uh, the information that I have heard, and again, I mean, it's coming from the people trying to, you know, to trying to pump people up for their new show. Trying to sell you this. Yeah, interplay right. entertainment. Yeah. Um, they, but they have stated that Doug has no input. Um, and the things that they've been tweeting on the official Earthworm Jim account are at least, you know, things that kind of give me a, a positive feeling about where they stand uh, sure. as regards sure. Doug's rather horrible yeah, opinion. But I mean, problem though is he's still <sighs> the creator of Earthworm Jim. Well, and, and still, he has the if, rights if, that are tied to that. Yeah. So, unless he has completely sold them off some time ago and said, I don't want anything ever to do with Earthworm Jim, in order to make Earthworm Jim, someone had to write this person a check, which I'm sure this person has happily cashed. So, he's benefiting from. From this thing, even though he's not involved in it, he's benefiting from it. And that's again, sure. problematic Absolutely. for me. So yeah. it's, it's something it's like I'm tough, probably going to pass when, yes. when the, um, the Ender's game novel came out a few years ago, I loved Ender's game formative parts of my youth, but I cannot, will not watch that movie. And I'm, you know, I haven't reread Ender's game at any point in here. And I'm kind of the same way with this. I mean, my Tenaple thing that I loved, and I may be the only person who remembers it was project geeker. Uh, because at the time I worked Saturday mornings at a CBS affiliate in like 97. And so Project Geeker was about this android who's supposed to have superpowers, but turns out to be an idiot voiced by Billy West because he's mm-hmm. never completed. Really good. Has a kind of an earthworm gym vibe to it. It's available out there in the universe and I can't go looking for it because, you know, sometimes you just, you don't want to s- separate the art from the artist, especially when you're like, this artist is is just a big bad thing person so you know yeah yeah all right what's next rodrigo let's see uh so stick with me on this one (laughs) did did i err productions the name of a company has acquired the animation television and film rights to sergio aragones grew the wanderer character uh so did i air production a production company has uh, acquired the rights to Groot the Wanderer. Uh, Groot the Wanderer follows the exploits of a barbarian warrior who isn't that smart as he wanders a land of mystery and magic and mayhem, looking for a warm place to sleep, a few coins, and a taste of cheese dip. Uh, There's currently no word on a release date, but Did I Err Productions founder Josh Jones will serve as an executive producer along with Aragonis and Mark Evanier. Yes! Bring me the grew. grew. Bring me the cheese strip. I I feel like the good part on this is that Sergio and Mark are involved. 
Yeah, because yes. mm-hmm. I feel like Gru with the, I mean, this is one of the situations where Gru is the creators. No one else, to my knowledge, has ever written and drawn Gru. And I feel like that's part of the the selling point here. Mm-hmm. I would like to see an animated Gru series done in sort of the spirit of what we got with Invincible, which is similar to what you know, the the beats are similar, but right. it's something new and different and kind of re remastered and reimagined. I feel like that would be really cool. Even if you went back to some of those 80s stories where, you know, towns burn and everybody suffers because they talk to Gru. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, if uh, you had to follow that uh, story a little carefully, this one is a little bit more confusing. Dark Horse Comics has announced that it will once again create Star Wars comics. Marvel Comics originally held the rights to Star Wars comics from 1977 to 1987. Then Dark Horse acquired those rights and printed Star Wars comics from 1991 until 2015 when the license returned to Marvel Comics during the Disney buying Lucasfilm thing, and Disney also owns Marvel. IDW Publishing also acquired the rights to print all ages Star Wars comics around the same time. It's the IDW publishing license that looks like it's uh, coming to an end as the announcement from Dark Horse implies that it will take over the all ages line. It also looks like Dark Horse might be the home for all High Republic tales as Marvel's High Republic series are all coming to an end in February of 2022. The um, uh, solicitations are up on the major spoilers website right now. And if you look at the High Republic ones, they're all ending Uh, Dark Horse's Star Wars comics are also expected to kick off in February of 2022. So the bad thing for IDW Publishing is it's losing some fantastic. uh, It's basically losing all of its Marvel and Lucasfilm uh, titles. So they're really cool. All ages uh, Marvel action stuff is going away. And now it looks like Star Wars Adventures, Star Wars uh, High Republic Adventures and Vader's Castle are all going away and probably will uh, all show up at Dark Horse uh, Comics. But again, based on what the solicitations say and what the press release from Dark Horse Comics said, it's unclear to me whether Marvel is also ditching its High Republic series in favor of just staying with its main Star Wars and Darth Vader series. Mm-hmm. Um, and if uh, Dark Horse is going to be picking those up as well. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if like it's just that Marvel's take on numbers and dark horses take on numbers Mm -hmm. are different right it's Mm -hmm. like marvel looks at their star wars series and says this is really not successful enough for us to continue investing in it and dark dark horse says this is definitely successful enough because we've done it before and we're (laughs) able to you know get you know significant profit from it obviously yeah the thing Um, that's and and they're like okay well give us a cut and you can have them again Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's how it works, right? I mean, both yeah. IDW Publishing and Dark Horse are paying Lucasfilm uh, slash Disney slash Marvel Comics for the right to print these comics to tell these stories. The thing that is the most interesting take in this is that Dark Horse is doing the all ages titles, all ages Star yeah. Wars stuff. And if there's one thing that we have seen happen again and again and again with Marvel Comics is they will have an all ages title. And then they'll quickly just dump that like a hot potato after the first six issues. They did that with yeah. boom studios and all of the Disney stuff that they were doing. They did it with, um, um, uh, what, what was the other thing they were doing it with the, they tried to do an all ages line of Marvel heroes stuff that mm-hmm. quickly went away and IDW p- uh, picked that up. So it looks like maybe this is just the all ages stuff, which I think is going to be interesting. Now the high Republic, the star Wars high Republic stuff, 
I think is fascinating because this is like two, 300, maybe even longer years before the events of the star Wars trilogy or nineology that we, that we're familiar with now. And I kind of dig some of the things that they're doing in that. So if one publisher, dark horse gets all of the high Republic stuff, um, that could be really cool because what Disney is doing is they're telling stories that are in continuity that are in comic books that are in uh, prose novels and will also be in upcoming TV slash movie stuff. And so they'll all be tied in with one another. And I think that that's pretty fascinating. So we've got a few months to see how all this is going to shake out. Uh, it will not surprise me if Marvel is like, yeah, we don't want to do any high Republic stuff. We want to just do Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker in between episodes uh, three and four. And that's all we're going to do. So who knows? <laughs> Matthew, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, when it comes to Star Wars, I'm woefully out of the loop. I mean, I'm I'm going to miss the uh, Dar the Darth Vader's castle. Yeah, that one's series, the one that was really honestly, fun. But honestly, I've never read the last issue of any of those. So yeah. Anyway, listeners, <laughs> we want you to share your thoughts and inputs about these stories and more over in our Discord. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. There's a lot of free rooms that we have in there. RPG games, uh, video games, comic books, movies, television, all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, when you jump on board the Major Spoilers Discord. Now, if you are a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers, you can link your Patreon account to our Discord server, and then that opens up all of these secret rooms, or I should say exclusive rooms, right? We've got the velvet rope that's hanging out in front of those rooms, and you can only get in when you link your Patreon account to our Discord server. And then you can come listen to us do live recordings. You can uh, interact with us. You can uh, talk with other patrons who are talking about uh, the, you know, next week's episode of Critical Hit before everyone else. You can do all of that when you uh, connect your Patreon account to your Discord server. And you can find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right, it is time for some reviews, and we have a Marvel, an Image, and another Image comic this week. So we're going to uh, separate, we're going to bookend uh, these reviews. So Matthew, why don't you start us off with this really fun series that I've been enjoying at Image Comics. Yes. Radiant Black, with Radiant Black number 10, it is out this week from yep. Image Comics. Radiant Black, uh, and generally, uh, I have been reviewing Radiant Black both on this show and for the website, and I have avoided spoiling a couple of things, but uh, you can't do that anymore with issue number 10. So, Radiant Black number 10, written by Carl, excuse me, Kyle Higgins, uh, art, beautiful art, incredible art, by uh, Marcella Costa. So, you're reading this comic, and you say to yourself, wow, this is kind of cool, and then... Uh, you may remember the thing happened in issue five, and that thing was the main character was very nearly killed, and his powers were passed off to his best friend. And the best friend has been a slightly more successful Radiant Black, but also doesn't necessarily believe in himself. And at the end of issue nine, Marshall, the current Radiant Black, insisted that he be allowed to find his friend, who may or may not be dying. Um, they took him off of life support in the expectation that he was, that he was going to die. So Marshall has a limited amount of time to figure out what's going on and what's going on is, Oh my God, cosmic craziness that, I mean, the likes of which I have not seen since the Starlin days on warlock. This is really a beautiful issue. 
but Marshall and the creature being robot cosmic nonsensey thing that gives him his collapsar-based powers travel into a place called existence. And in existence, only truth is true. And so Marshall is fighting to try and find his best friend before he expires on Earth. And, of course, his only guide is 001, a guy who tried to kill him an issue or two ago. So, first of all, that's a kind of a cool setup. And second of all, as this issue goes on, it gets more and more both visually but color complex. Um, because, you know, I don't know if you guys know about four-color printing, but you got your C's, your M's, your Y's, and your K's. And, of course, Radiant Black is the, the uh, for lack of a better word, the Power Ranger in black. But as he travels through existence, he travels through a zone of yellow, he travels through a zone of cyan, he travels through a zone of pink, which some people call magenta. And as this issue goes on, it becomes clear that there's both more and considerably less than Marshall thinks going on. And that is where I'm going to leave that because again, I've, I've told you things that I feel like might be spoilers for previous issues, but without them reviewing this issue is going to be tough. Um, this is really good. This is really, really good. And the only thing that I feel keeps it from being a perfect issue is the fact that sometimes uh, when Marshall is communicating with things from the other side, we have bits and pieces that are written in the alien language. Now, I'm not necessarily one of those codebreaker guys who, you know, can translate dupe speak. Um, and I haven't met anybody who is or has translated the radiant black alien font yet, but it is a little frustrating occasionally to be in the middle of a sentence and have Marshall or his uh, cosmic patron say something in that language that I can't understand. Now, I, I'm sure there's a buildup to it, and I'm sure that we're getting somewhere because things are starting to be a little more legible in that alien font where I'm all, almost starting to see words building up. Is it so, the same? Is it the same letterer from uh, issue to issue, or are they got? Do they have a new letterer on board? To my knowledge, this is the the same creative team that we've had from the beginning, um, uh, including cover artist Eleonora Carlini, who also just draws beautiful, beautiful comics. But I want to say this is colored by Igor Monti. I believe Igor Monti was. I know he's been on the last several issues. Because I reviewed uh, either seven and nine or eight and nine for uh, Majorspoilers.com. You should check it out. There's reviews over there, you guys. But here's the thing. I've told you things that I didn't want to tell you in order to tell you this. Four and a half slices of meatloaf. This is a really great comic. And people who are sleeping on this comic are sleeping on something that I'm pretty sure is going to be the equivalent of an Invincible the equivalent of Micronauts in 1979. Uh, only old people get that, but trust me, it's a good thing. It's going to be something where I feel that by issue 25 or 26, everybody's going to realize that Radiant Black is crazy good and be like, oh my God, how do I get my copy of issue number one? It's now 135 bucks. So mm -hmm. definitely check it out. This is a really good comic, y'all. 
All right, there you go. Yeah, I, I think uh, I said early on when we reviewed it for Dueling Review, the first time that it, yep. the issue popped up, was that this was the next Invincible, and you better get your hands on it. Absolutely. Uh, what is not the next Invincible, unfortunately, is Hawkeye, <laughs> Kate Bishop number one uh, from Marvel Comics this week. So I, I was kind of excited about a Kate Bishop comic. Uh, after all, we do get a Hawkeye series kicking off on Disney Plus this. Wait a minute. Oh, synergy Synergy. in action. Anyway, this is uh, Kate Bishop supposedly trying to head home for the holidays uh, to go hang out with the rest of the Young Avengers and East Coast Avengers and all those cool things. Uh, But she decides that she doesn't want to deal with those kind of family issues. Instead, she's going to go pick up another PI case at some swanky hotel uh, that is also, I guess, in upstate New York, only to find out that the person who secretly hired her was her sister. Gasp. Um, there's not a whole lot of buildup in this. There's something funky going on at the hotel, maybe some mind control stuff, maybe some uh, other hokiness. But uh, the issue ends with a little girl that has been kidnapped from the hotel and Kate saying, well, I'll take on the case. In between that is a lot of back and forth between her and her sister that jumps back and forth from the present day to the past. And the first time that it made a jump to the past in the middle of a sequence of panels, I was like, what the heck is going on? How are they outside? And now they're back inside and then they're back outside again. And so it took you, it took me a moment because Kate's dressed in purple all of the time. It took a moment to go, Oh, okay, this is something that's happening in a previous time. And then it just kind of goes back and forth like that through the rest of the issue. So If you're someone who is going into the holiday weekend dreading uh, spending any time with uh, family members that you don't get along with, uh, then you're probably not going to enjoy this book very much because it is, let's dig up the past. Let's get into our familial uh, arguments again and again and again. The art is fine. Uh, I think the art is fine. But I really wanted this issue to go somewhere more than what we got here. So... While it's interesting and while it's Kate Bishop, um, it is definitely not, if you are fans of the, um, uh, what is it? Fraction Aja series. Uh, this is not that. Uh, so get that out of your head right away. I think there's some, some solid framework here that this could be a good overall story, but this first issue really took a long time to get to the point. And I really didn't enjoy the ride as much as I thought I would. So unfortunately for me, this is my thoughts. I'm only going to give this three slices of meatloaf out of five. You might uh, enjoy this a heck of a lot more. And if you do want to go check this comic out for yourself or any of the comics that we are reviewing this week on the major spoilers podcast, there are links to the Amazon affiliate links where you can either buy a physical copy of this comic, or you can buy a digital copy of the comic that you can immediately download to your Kindle or to your iPad and to, or to your comiXology app and read it there. But this one, definitely three slices of meatloaf uh, for me. All right, so that was our Marvel comic. Let's jump back into the world of Image Comics, Rodrigo. Oh, man, everybody here is a big fan of of, of uh, Spawn. What do we got this week? Gunslinger Spawn number two. <gasps> so, Cowboy Spawn. Again, to parse this out, Gunslinger Spawn is, in fact, Cowboy Spawn, who is a different person than, say, Al Simmons, right? That's one Spawn. There's a different Spawn. He's from, like, the 1800s. Uh, but he's he was pulled forward in time, or 
yes, he was pulled forward in time to end up in the current age, which from reading this book, I would say is 1997. And that's not a bad thing. Um, this book, you know, written by Todd McFarlane, uh, reads like an old Spawn book, and I was here for it. You know, there's something about the way that uh, McFarlane writes that's like, at the same time, like kind of poetic and kind of um, like uh, it, it, it kind of goes back and forth between like kind of like poetic and weirdly straightforward. Uh, uh-huh. Um, you know the uh, there's like a, a text box that's like Gunslinger knows he only has a few minutes before this one takes his last breath, <laughs> right? Um, and then there's a thing where he says, "Your dad and his kind care about no one," right? It's not your father and his kind care about no one. It's your dad. You know, he actually uses the word "dad." It's like, yeah, it's I don't know. I, it's it's hard to to place, but um, you know, reading a, a, a Spawn comic kind of feels like you're in a roller coaster, um, and and like things are jumping at you all the time. This is an extremely violent issue. Last issue ended with a bunch of angels showing up. This issue has a big fight between Gunslinger Spawn and the angels, um, and uh, his little protege, who we find out is. Uh, one of the Bartlets was a family that Gunslinger Spawn has problems with. They themselves are magic in some way. I'm not up to speed exactly with what the deal is. Uh, was back in like the 1800s with Gunslinger Spawn, but he's uh, even though he was involved in other Spawn stuff, and now he's just trying to find his way back to his time. Um, he has become involved with this family that's still around, right? Um, so. Uh, yeah, he kind of starts to develop this like mentor relationship with one of the Bartlets who is like a nice kid, you know, so it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's, it's interesting to see what's going on. Uh, I'll give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. It's, you know, it's spawn comics. Um, once you, it's, it's like getting into a pool, you know, it's like you dip your feet in and it's like, Ooh, this is cold or whatever. Yeah. But once you're in, it's like, ah, oh, actually this is comfortable. I remember yeah. this. <laughs> you know, it's like that's that's always what getting back into spawn feels like. You know, it's like you open a page and there's just like people's heads blowing up and you're like, what did I like about this? And then you get to this, ah, okay, all right, all right. This is what I liked about this. You know, there's like <laughs> there's a there's a a fun to it, like a a very like earnest intensity to it. Yeah. You know, it's not like you you don't read like there are jokes in this and the jokes land just fine. Um but it's not um they're not like self deprecating jokes right it's like everything that happens in this book is like serious af mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know but but it still has its its own sense of humor so yeah, three and a half slices uh the art is by red booth does a great job um i kind of wish that they let spawns have more different costumes mm-hmm because this one wears a spawn suit with like a top hat. Right? Yeah, I, like a big, a big old like, ten what, gallon hoss, hoss yeah. hat. Yeah. Um, and his trench coat, which is red and has a giant collar to you know, which essentially functions as as uh, 
current spawns cape, right? Um, but yeah, it's like if you just see a shot of his head and he's lost his hat or you just don't see the hat in the frame, like this looks exactly like regular spawn, right? So I wish they were they played around a little bit more with the design, but you know what? I'm not Todd McFarlane. I haven't sold millions of action figures and statuettes, so what do I know? There you go. <laughs> Uh, dear listeners, if you want more fantastic reviews, make sure you head over to Majorspoilers.com. We have reviews up there for you to check out. And uh, we have plenty of uh, sneak peeks and other things over there. It's all going on at Majorspoilers.com. I know some of you are thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Stephen, there's one thing that you guys haven't talked about this week, and that's the San Diego Comic-Con that's happening this weekend. <laughs> what? That's right. San Diego Comic-Con happening this weekend. This Thanksgiving weekend in San Diego, oh. California. That's right, oh. ladies and gentlemen. So the I put up a poll this week onto the Twitter to just ask uh, how many people were going uh, to the San Diego Comic-Con this week. So let's oh. do our usual uh, round when we have a poll of the week. Uh, Matthew, are uh-huh. you going to the San Diego Comic-Con this week? <laughs> not only am I not going, but my friend Jay, who literally lives two blocks from Comic-Con, uh, the thingamma the hall, the convention is center. not going this week, but there are yeah. more than enough tickets available. Remember this is a, a this facility holds 150,000 people. Sure. And they have plenty of tickets going. In fact, they have a bunch of special guests. Now, not, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle all of the comic book, creators that are going to be there that are listed as special guests. I think that should be applauded because I think that comic cons should focus more on the comics. So I don't want to belittle that, but most people understand that when they say special guests at San Diego comic-con, they're thinking Mm -hmm. like big name people. So I'm just scrolling down the list, scrolling down the list, scrolling down the list. Uh, Again, I'm not going to be paying attention to anyone who is a writer or an artist or an author of uh, comic books and so let me just continue to scroll down this first page. Oh, there's only two pages of special guests. Uh, so I'm going to have to now go on to page two. Uh, let's see. Who do we have? Who do we have? Oh, I'm halfway down on page two. Brent Spiner will be there. Ooh. But he's also listed as an actor author. So I don't know if we should count him or not. Uh, oh, wait. There was somebody else who. Uh, he's an author of a book, apparently. Uh, doesn't say, oh yeah. He says, uh, uh, Brent's first book, fan fiction, a mem noir inspired by true events is available now. Uh, so yeah, he's there as a book author, not as an actor. Uh, mm-hmm. and you know what? There was another special guest that was on here, but that guest's name uh, that I was looking at earlier this week, but that guest's name has disappeared from the list. Oh, I guess, uh, Kevin Eastman might be the other big, 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 big name that sure. people might recognize, but, uh. He's a comic book guy. So yeah, not a whole lot of people going for the, for the special guests that will be there. Not a lot of special guests uh, showing up either. So I will now turn to you, Rodrigo, and ask you, are you going to the San Diego Comic-Con this week? I am not. Um, I feel like this used to be in the summer. It is. is, is this it, is, is a COVID thing. Push back. Yeah, this is the COVID thing. They they pushed it back to now, and they're making it a smaller, friendlier event. And they're doing okay. it now okay. because I I'm sure there's some legal reason why they have to cram it in in 2021. But uh, sure, yeah. sure, yeah. 
And what better weekend to do it than on Thanksgiving, where everybody who, instead of wanting to spend time with their friends and family, and quite honestly, I can understand people not wanting to spend time with uh, certain family members, might decide to go to San Diego Comic-Con. Sure. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I wasn't planning on going. I wasn't planning on going when it was in the summer, and then when it got postponed, I forgot that it was even still happening. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of really cool... Um, there's a lot of cool panels, uh, for example, on the 26th, one of the ones that looks really interesting storytellers choosing, centering and celebrating. They also have a panel on the future of Doctor Who. They have a panel on UFOs, fact and fiction. They have the X-Men fandom panel live. Uh, they also have one on uh, Scout Comics, I guess, is going to be there doing a panel. The VFX creating fan favorite thrillers, a lot of writing stuff uh, panels that are going to be there. Uh, there's one on the Klingon Lifestyles Special Edition. Then on the 27th, they have one called Adapting the Biggest IPs for Tabletop. Um, by the way, if you guys took a look at Marvel's uh, February lineup, the Marvel RPG is coming out in February. So uh, there you go. Uh, they also have a, a panel called The Changing Face of Pop Culture. Uh, secrets, uh, set secrets with film and TV creatives. Comixology Originals will be there. A Lawyer's Holiday Special. Oh, that sounds very fascinating. Uh, making Your First Comic, The Good, The Bad, and The Business Side. Uh, let's go on. What else do they have? They have uh, uh, Tokyo Pop will be there. Conspiracy Theories and Propaganda Throughout Pop Culture. Uh, and then there's some, uh, That's popped up a couple of times uh, in this list. Uh, they do have a Masquerade that'll be there. Uh, they also have Buffy the musical once more with feeling an interactive Whedon musical, uh, mm. bringing video games to reality and a spotlight on John Jennings. So there are just a few of the big uh, panels that you can find. If you go to comic con.org, you can still get tickets going on the 26th through the 28th at the San Diego convention center. I am also not going, uh, I think I'm going to have some fun things planned with my family, but of the 36 people who voted, on this poll that I put up as a 24 hour poll, 3% hmm. said, yes, they are going. Oh, so nice. there you go. If you go to the San Diego comic-con and you are listening to this podcast, please uh, call in or write in or do something to let us know what the experience was like. Cause I'm, I am, I don't want to say it's a morbid curiosity, but there is a fascination with when you schedule a, one of the biggest comic book conventions of all time during the Thanksgiving weekend, how does that look? And, uh, so I'm very interested to see where we go there. It, it feels like intentionally trying to limit attendance. <laughs> um, that may be part of it, right? Because, uh, you know, the main reason why Comic-Con was canceled for, you know, two years in a row now has been because of COVID. And mm -hmm. certainly that has an impact on what the Comic-Con International can do with the monies that they have, as well as contracts that they have with the convention center. I am not privy to any of the contracts or any of the negotiations or any of the things that are going on behind the scenes. But I had a feeling that Comic-Con thought that everything was going to be done with COVID by now. And so they kind of were like, yeah, why don't we try something like this yeah. instead of wasting? I shouldn't say wasting instead of postponing for a whole other year. But then also in the back of my mind, I can't help but think that there's something in a contract that says if they miss like two years in a row, their contract may be canceled with the, uh, the organize, uh, the, uh, convention center. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I kind of feel like this being crammed in right here feels like a, a weird oddity. So 
that's just me. So one nice thing is if there are a lot of people in the United States that are uh, doing Thanksgiving celebrations, this might be a great opportunity for international people to come and uh, experience San Diego in a whole different way. So there you go. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this week in our trade paperback, we are once again doing a holiday tradition. It started out as a review that I was doing every year on the Major Spoilers website. It has since transitioned into everybody gets to participate in the Major Spoilers podcast. We are up to album 18 of the Asterix uh, series. This one, it's Asterix in the Laurel Wreath, in which Chief Vital Statistics uh, has rashly bet his brother-in-law the infuriating show-off homeopathics that he can get a hold of Caesar's laurel wreath to season a stew. And that means that he has to send Asterix and Obelix to Rome to find the wreath and bring it back as promised. Which, you know, (laughs) hijinks ensues, right? They get uh, captured and they're thrown into a prison cell and they are like, this is perfect. We're inside Caesar's palace. We can break out at night. Uh, We can go through the palace trying to find the wreath. And then uh, as dawn is approaching and they've knocked out, you know, tens of guards Uh, They go back to the cell and they decide to sleep and everyone's like, what are they doing back in their cell? And, you know, eventually at the end, they do get the, the wreath and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) The thing I was not prepared for is the bigger story arc of this issue is all about slavery in Roman times. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are making a mockery of slavery. And I thought, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but when I just got to, oh yeah, we're just going to go sell ourselves on the slave market and hope that we get in, uh, into, uh, Caesar's palace, but instead they get in involved in some other guy's, uh, house and then they have to get mm-hmm. traded up, so to speak. And, you know, slaves conspiring against slaves and, oh, we bought a high end slave and not a low end slave just kind of was like, oh man, I'm mm. not sure what I think about this. Rodrigo, what are your thoughts on, on, uh, on Asterix and the Laurel wreath? Uh, it, it is interesting. Um, you know, uh, Asterix is all about colonization, right? It mm-hmm. is about the Gauls, the French fighting against um, the Romans mm-hmm. and, and trying to keep them off their land. Uh, spoiler alert, they lose that fight, you know? Uh, so it's, uh, Asterix has always kind of been this like cheeky, like nose thumbing, uh, look at government at war at colonialism. Um, but from a point of view of, um, you know, a, a, uh, uh, not not the like absolute like lowest rung in the social ladder um point of view right there's a lot of magic the gauls have like a potion that gives them super strength um so there's a lot going on it yeah they're is, always besting the romans in some way shape or form yeah um it is fun but um and it makes light of a lot of stuff and it places the romans in a place where you can see like, oh, this is kind of like poking fun at the government or this is just poking fun of at, at colonialist um, ideas in general. Um, but then, you know, you turn around and there is a, uh, a like a single panel in this one. There might be more, but one that caught my my attention mm-hmm. of like just a grotesque like two or something of, of, of black people. Right. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, good good job on uh, entirely just whiffing this uh, this softball on your comic about fighting back against colonization, right? Um, it's uh, I I when I went into it, I was like, okay, this is like this is like a top down look at this, right? Nothing about this is terribly harmful. You know, it's like most of the time the Romans aren't killing people. They're just like knocking them out and, and throwing them in, in jail or enslaving them. But even the slavery is like, you know, basically they're house servants as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, cattle, right? Which yeah, is what a yeah. lot of uh, slavery kind of was. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe it's more realistic. Maybe this is how the Romans treated their slaves. But I, I always look at it as like this is like a very top down look at all this stuff, right? It's like yeah. nothing is nothing is realistic, nothing is too nothing ever gets too real. And you know, you end up creating sort of uh like uh what one like absurd situations, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, Asterix and Obelix's plan is to sell themselves into slavery so that they can get into Caesar's palace and the the actual palace, not the hotel. Um, and then when that doesn't work out, uh, they, um, try to escape so that they'll be mad at them. So they'll throw them to the lions cause they know Caesar's going to be there. Right. So it's like they beat everyone up and then go back in their cells because their plan is to be thrown to the lions. Right. So it's like all of, all of these terrible things that you hear about, uh, Roman times is like, they're trying to do like, they end up doing them all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can get this wreath. So you know, it's it's funny. It's meant to be funny and cute. Yeah. Um, but there's always kind of this specter of like, like, um, like how yeah, but- how serious are you being? How like, um, how, how factual you are being to historical uh, it's, uh, records? It's not or- about. It's not even about it being factual. It's about like. It's like, do you like, do you actually empathize with the with the Gauls? Like, do you actually empathize with the Gauls mm-hmm. and think of them as the good guys fighting against this empire that's trying to take them over, or is it just like a Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd? Right? It's like nobody hates right. Elmer Fudd, like, but also he never actually hurts Bugs Bunny, and Bugs Bunny never actually hurts him, other than you know dropping a piano on him and turning him to an accordion for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you've played the game, um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, that mm-hmm. takes place in, in, in Greece. Uh, and they have a portrayal of slavery in that game. That is kind of the way slavery is portrayed here in that you're not, you know, chattel, you're kind of like just servants, you know, uh, you know, sure. it, it's, it was different when I played that game and I was and it, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm a slave and my master treats me well. And eventually, uh, I will move on and go uh, be someone else's slave. And I was like, okay, well that's a little weird, but that's kind of how it's portrayed here from a, from the broad perspective. But just the, anytime that you say slavery is always a it, kind of an issue. Now I'm, be fair. Uh, this was released in 1974. So, uh, you know, things are a little different back then. So keep that in mind. Matthew, what, Even what are so, you? I mean, the, ori- the original French volume came out in 71. This doesn't feel like a, a 70s, even an early 70s comic. This feels like 
late 50s. This feels like 1958-59 for me, just in terms of its level of, I don't want to say sophistication, because that's not exactly it, but just the level of, 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 of seriousness, the level of, of whimsy versus wackiness that we see here. This feels older than it is. But then I feel that about all the Asterix volumes. And yeah, yeah. and it's, you know, it's because things develop differently in the U.S., right? It's like Mm -hmm. the U.S. comics market choked out a lot of things that were allowed to flourish in Europe, right? It's like Mm -hmm. you don't see, like you still see superhero comics, but you don't see Uncle Scrooge comics anymore, except every once in a while, right? It's like that stuff became unsellable in the United States eventually, but continue to flourish outside of the United States and continue mm-hmm. to inspire people outside of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So this, my, as, my read as, through, go ahead, Matthew. In my read through of this particular volume, I kind of bounced off the slave part because it wasn't necessarily something that I really wanted to delve into. And the story didn't require me to devote a lot of energy to, you know, trying to, assign morality to it which i felt was good but the thing that really got me was uh in that last panel yeah that's what i was gonna say there's all this slavery and then you get to the moral uh, message of this whole issue and the moral of the story is drink in moderation um because obelix got them into this by being drunk and while they were in while they were in caesar's palace they created a recipe that basically uh, they created Stinson's hangover fixer elixir. Mm-hmm. And so they literally Asterix and Obelix in this volume basically set apart, set the Roman empire on the way to collapse by making it possible for them to drink and not have a terrible hangover. And I'm like, yeah, where did that even come from? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. The, the whole last panel is like, and uh, so it, throughout the throughout the issue, we get to meet the the first um, owners of Asterix and Obelix. They have a drunken son who's constantly drunk, and that's where they first invent the 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 elixir. Uh, but then you know the parents are like, "Oh, this is great! We should all now just have a big orgy, and and we shall all be drunk and and have debauchery and all these things." And so this plays out through probably about a third of the issue. It's a recurring joke. Uh, throughout yeah. that everyone is drunk and disorderly. And then at the end is like, and the Roman empire fell because of its drunken debauchery and sexual escapades, drink in moderation, the end. And I was like, what is this crazy stuff? You know, yeah. nothing and, about, Hey, Hey everybody, slavery's bad, but Oh, stay away from that liquor. See, sure. and that's, that's the thing. I feel like it almost treats slavery as part and parcel of, you know, the time frame, you know, the Roman era that we're sure, in. Sure. But the fact that we get to the end and they're like, oh, don't drink too much. Drinking is bad. It's a sin, you guys. And I'm like, I, I don't necessarily feel like this volume even treats that very seriously because the first, it took me a while to realize in the first 10 or 12 pages that Asterix and Obelix are seriously drunk because they're like, What's and I'm like, wait, what does Zigakli mean? And I'm like, oh, he's drunk. Okay, that makes mm-hmm. sense. And it takes a while to get to that. And again, I think part of that may be a translation issue. I don't know. Sure. But once that kicks in, you have this running gag and these running themes of, you know, people getting drunk, 
people trying to find ways to get drunk and not suffer the next day. But then you get to the end of the issue and somehow it's this big shaggy dog story where, you know, the, the chihuahua runs up and in its mouth is the brick. And I kind of love that, but I also feel like Stephen's point is super, super valid here in that, you know, none of this is even really addressed. It's just like, yep, slavery is happening over there. We're here to steal a hat from Julius Caesar. Right. And, and to a certain degree, you can see that as, as itself being the joke, right? Mm-hmm. That you can say, well, here are the Romans. Like the Romans are the Gauls, um, you know, number one most hated enemies. But mm-hmm. the, also, Gauls are allowed to walk around in Rome unattended, mm-hmm. right? It's like it, it. It really has this sense of sort of like war in the old classical sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where like people actually believed the reasons for war, you know, that, that weren't like just taking over land or, you know, subjugating people or whatever, you know, that they thought is like, yeah, it's like a gentleman's quarrel. And once it's decided, it'll be fine, you know, kind of a stuff. And it's like, yeah, like these Gauls who everybody recognizes as Gauls are just walking around in Rome. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's you know, the thing that they... again, right? It's like it's not an enmity the way that we right. think of it now. It's not, right. it's not slavery the way that we think about it now. With the big asterisk that that's a maybe a dangerous way of looking at it. Yes, it's like the slaves, like literally, they have a slave who goes to market for them, right? Which also happened in the United States under you know American slavery. Um, but as I read this, I'm like the relationship between slaves and the the strictures that hold them as slaves is different here. Like basically, although the same is true in sort of American slavery, slavery here is like more of a caste, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's a caste of slaves and it comprises of like people that were born into it and foreigners and stuff like that. And they're more like indentured servants than they really are slaves in the way that we in modern day United States think of it um, because uh, I think partially it is different. And partially, I think in Europe, especially at this time, there was likely sort of a, a thin like gossamer film over this whole time period um, where they really weren't thinking about the atrocities that the Romans committed, right? Everybody loves the Romans. Everybody claims that descendancy through the Romans Mm-hmm. Um, because they were, you know, cool and badasses and came up with cool stuff and what they didn't come up with, they stole and proliferated throughout their empire. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's one of the things of the that way I... we look at the old West and the, the cowboy type stuff. I mean, kind of the way that Americans look at the Romans, right? It's like yeah, Americans true. trace their basically weirdly their whiteness through the Romans, right? It's like came from Europe and what was there before the Roman empire. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like and, you know, before that, the Greeks, even though the the, the Greeks were subjugated by the Romans, um, it's you know, it's like that's the line that people claim to this classical West, like this idea that really kind of that, you know, white people have of where their ascendancy and their authority 
and their history comes from, even though, you know, most people, most people in the United States today aren't part Greek or their family didn't come from uh, Italy. You know, mm -hmm. lots of Italians, but they don't necessarily track their ascendancy that way. But when you think of like the West, that's kind of where it flows through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's one of the things that it, the particular panel that you were pointing out uh, earlier, Rodrigo, that has just bad racial de depictions of characters. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where they're basically saying, Hey, look, Rome is open to everybody. Uh, and that's sure. why they're showing here's somebody from Africa. Here's uh, uh, Southern Africa. Here's somebody from uh, Egypt. Here's somebody from, I think they have right. an Asian person in there, but you know, they're basically saying everyone from all over the world comes to, to Rome because we are this worldly place. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then this it, album uh, is basically a much more adult oriented uh, story than what we've seen before. And I think that may be the thing that kind of took me aback a lot more was that, uh, you know, either they're doing this intentionally to try to age up with their audience, or this is, you know, something else that they're trying to do, maybe get to their moral uh, pronouncement at the end about stop being drunk and, and, and slovenly and, and whatever else that they're trying to get across. Um, so I, I did find those things uh, very fascinating. Now, Lagnus, I was mentioning, I was, for those of you want, that want to know what books we're reviewing in 2022, I posted in the comic books chat, as well as the major spoilers chat over in the major spoilers discord. And, um, you know, I was listing all the things, including asterisks next year. And, uh, Lagnus says that, um, that asterisk, I rate a bit below average for me. I think he's referring to this one because I said we were reviewing an asterisk book this week, but he could be reviewing, he could be talking about next year's book for all I know. But, mm -hmm. uh, he says that there's a, plenty of other albums that I would rate higher. Uh, but this one is still, um, below average to him. So I don't know. I think it's kind of hit or miss, uh, when you get to, to a lot of these albums. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I, you know, I walk away with mixed feelings on this one at to date. Yeah. This one is my least favorite of all of the ones that we have reviewed. I, I kind of like it in as much as this is one of the times that I can really feel the influence of, uh, Carl Burke's, uh, uncle Scrooge stories and maybe even a little bit of Popeye in here because yeah. a lot of times you know, when you have something like this, that we had sort of that same issue with Tintin when it was coming out, um, you know, a week at a time or two pages at a time in the pages of Je Flip to Flop magazine, you kind of have less of a continuity. And for all of the problems with, I think, the tone and the, the way that we're addressing some of the bigger problems, the things that haven't aged well in this story, it feels like one cohesive um, Uncle Scrooge-style adventure. And it yeah. feels like top to bottom, oh, yeah, sure, sure. this is what happens. Obelix mm -hmm. got really drunk one day, and then 50 pages later, uh, we're also going to you know, crush the Roman Empire. And yeah, I mean, I think that's that works there because you get like, here's 10 pages of setup, 10 pages of mm -hmm. their, you know, each chapter essentially is... Uh, we're at home. We're getting into this situation. Now we're in Rome. Now here's our adventures with our first slave owners. Now here's our adventures inside the palace. And then we get a wrap up adventure, you know, kind of, yeah. that's kind of how the story is structured, but it's all with this, this one goal in mind that, that makes it feel like you said, very co cohesive. Yeah. 
uh, Rodrigo, what are what are your final thoughts on this? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Would you recommend it? Would you um, throw it in the trash? It's, it's also not my favorite. Um, again, going in, just know that there are uh, not great, and by which I mean terrible depictions of black people in this. Um, and that, again, like the the idea of slavery is just a another part of the of the roman milieu um it's like once you've got that out of the way this does feel like a like a raunchier um asterix and obelix which i'm not opposed to more about Mm -hmm. drinking more about like uh maybe not so much about getting it on but um some getting it on you know it's like it 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 this kind of feels like a transitional thing to uh to a more sort of like teenage type thing where like everybody's always trying to drink and get away from work and do other stuff so um i mean it's interesting it's an interesting direction for the book to move i didn't hate it but it's also not my favorite yeah matthew final thoughts from you this is not one that i am super super familiar with but we're getting into the run of uh asterisk books asterisk books that i grew up with i like i think i like it better than both of you guys i still agree that there are some serious problems with bits and pieces of this story and the way it plays out but i feel like they've really kind of hit a stride here what are we we're 18 in yep and there's only like six more um that i consider to be you know of the real ones before uh, I think mm-hmm. Ghost dies in like 1979 Be- before they and, create Uder's Obot. <laughs> well, he, he dies in the middle of uh, Asterix in Belgium, which is number 24, I think. So mm-hmm. you get to the point where this is right on the edge of what I consider to be my favorite Asterix, which is to say the Asterix I read when I was, you know, nine and 10 years old. And so, yeah, yeah I, I like this one. I feel like the art is 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 really mostly nicely done, and I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. I didn't have. I had maybe four big. Oh my god! How could they? Oh right, fifty year old comic book um, in here. So I would say for me, it's definitely a check it out if you can get access to this and yeah, look and you, at it. Yeah, then, you yeah, can get like, access to these very easily. Paper cuts. Uh, the publisher here in the United States has been releasing these in collections for the last couple of years. So these are easily available. Hmm. Are they editing out um, some of these depictions no, no. that are no these longer are, accepted? No, these are, you know, which is interesting, you know, um, because these are kid-friendly, the Paper Cuts is a kid-friendly um, yeah. publication. So no, they they pretty much leave all that stuff in there. Um, this would be, and I don't know which English translation they're using because there are at least two or three different English yeah. translations of these books, depending on what year you're picking these up. So I don't right. know if things like orgy, you know, it's like, Oh, George, let's have an orgy. Let's bring on the dancing girls uh, moment. That's in that one panel. Uh, <laughs> if that's changed to, Hey, let's have a big crazy party. Yes. Invite all our friends. You know, if anything like that mm-hmm. has been changed or not to protect the innocent for all the uh, pearl collectors out there. Um, but definitely the art has not been has not been altered. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. If you're going to go and pick these up, um, I don't know what collection this is part of, uh, but again, you can go and pick these up relatively easily anywhere. 
There you go, everybody. Uh, anything else, Matthew or Rodrigo? Mm, it's fun to say ghost Gina. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. That is where we're going to wrap it up there uh, this week. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for being a part of the Major Spoilers uh, experience for the, uh, I don't know, for as long as we've been doing it, all the 15-year t-shirts uh, have, have arrived for all of our patrons at that producer level, you should be getting those in the mail. And if you're not uh, somebody that is at that producer level and you want one of those shirts, then head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers and sign up for that. And we'll get those out to you right away. As I said, we're heading into the Thanksgiving weekend here in the United States. So for the rest of the week, we are off as far as podcasts go, but we will be back uh, next week. So thank you very much. Thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience. As always, the only thing we love more than saying Gosicine is your feedback. Join the rest of the cool kids at the Major Spoilers Discord server. Share your thoughts and reactions to Asterix, or you can drop an email straight to Steven's brain hole podcast at Majorspoilers.com. You might even have your words. The new one has episode. just come in. Oh, oh, how's he pulling that out? That sounds, know, it sounds right? painful. It's, it's yeah. just a minor incision. And uh, don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Hey, next week, we're already into December or close enough into December. So we're going to do some uh, holiday, some Christmas holiday uh, comic books, just like we did with Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago. Hellboy, A Christmas Underground and Spider-Man's Tangled Web number 21. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do, too. And we will talk with you soon. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.